Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Welcome to Healing with Worth. We are your hosts, Naomi and Janine, and we are excited today to talk about couples recovery on a level that is not quite what we imagined it to be, (laughs) mostly because we aren't in that space right now. So we don't have a lot of experience to share on what our own couple recovery looks like. But we do have a resource, a couple different resources that we wanted to share and some insight that we found um, in regards to couple recovery and maybe some benchmarks that show your relationship is ready for that next step. So I think it's really important in all of this that um, we remember, too, that couple recovery is probably going to look different for every couple because every couple is unique and has their own different behaviors and backgrounds and everything else that comes with two people from different families coming together. So it's not really an easy topic to say, you know, this is what you should look for and this is what you shouldn't look for when you're in couples recovery. But I think the best way for us to address this is to really just talk about maybe some signs that show that you're ready for that step and and be able to be confident moving into that realm of recovery. Yeah, I remember when we were interviewing TC and John Jolly, I shared with our listeners a story about myself when I went to a conference for couples and wanted to get into a couple recovery group and they wouldn't allow me to to get into a couple recovery group because I had not done my work and my husband had not done his own individual work. And so the last couple of episodes that we've talked, we've talked about, kind of, we kind of honed in a little bit more on what our recovery um, might look like and what our spouse's recovery would look like so that when couples recovery is ready, you know, when we're ready for couple recovery, couples recovery, then that is more effective. And so for myself, I know that I wanted to jump in to couples recovery right away without really knowing that I had work to do myself. And that's kind of what they told me at this conference when I wanted to join this couples group was that you had to be working your own recovery for at least a year. And that's just to establish um, kind of a clearer picture of what's going on in the relationship, I think, and to establish boundaries for yourself, to know how to do that, to know how to create safety for yourself, and to just get more information so that you're more prepared for this next step. So when Naomi and I were kind of planning these episodes where we were focusing first on our recovery and then on his recovery, we got to this episode and we're like, 
we don't have any experience. We have no <laughs> idea what we're talking about because we're not in couples recovery. But then we realized that there are benchmarks that both of us are looking for when that is ready, when that next step is ready. And so we're going to share with you some of those benchmarks that we are looking for to know that our relationship is ready to go to the next step. Exactly. And so to start off, we really wanted to share um, from a resource that we found. Um, I actually first heard it on a podcast with Dr. Jill Manning as she presented this, and she actually has it on her webpage, drjillmanning.com, and it's the rule of five, and it's criteria for determining readiness for couple therapy. And she says this, this is to help couples determine readiness for effective repatient, sorry, this is to help couples determine readiness for effective relational repair work. And I want to highlight the word effective relational repair. So there are a lot of different ways that we can do couples work. And I think it's important to recognize for it to be effective, these five steps that we're going to talk about, I have found make a lot of sense to me in, in my relationship. And maybe it, maybe it won't fit for you and that's okay. But I think for me and what I've, what I've experienced over time, this has really held true. So one thing I want to point out to our listeners is that there are contraindications for entering couple therapy when there is abuse involved, violence between partners, and this abuse can stem from anything, you know, in any realm, emotional, physical, sexual. And that's why it's really important to understand kind of what those patterns are. And we've done Lots of episodes on there that you can go back and listen to. Active or untreated mental illness or addiction with one or both partners. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. One or both parties are engaged in infidelity and lack the motivation to give those outside the relationship up for the good of the primary relationship. And one or both parties have un undertaken the decision to separate or divorce. So those are the four points or contraindications that she indicates that would not be a reason to move forward in couples therapy. Right. And she also talks about um, when we're talking about effectiveness as well, there are also things like the modality of therapy being used with the couple is important. The relationship between the couple and the therapist is important the fit with the therapist's area of specialty and the issues that are being addressed in treatment is also important. And the timing, um, which is, is kind of what we're focusing on today. Um, but all of those are things that, that are included in here. So, yeah, I think that um, relationship between the couple and the therapist is really important as well, because for myself, I will not engage in a, with a therapist that is not trauma and abuse informed and is always looking 
out for the best interests of the spouse. I think that's really important for for myself. Yeah. To engage in a therapist who understands betrayal trauma from from that perspective. So Exactly. So to get started her first her first point that she talks about kind of the first rule is and and these aren't like sobriety so the first rule is sobriety is established but i think this rule of 5 is you want all of these five things so so stay with us <laughs> we're not done sobriety is the first step so she talks about sobriety being established first and most of all um because when they have kind of hit their initial level of all sobriety of of sobriety in all forms of acting out then it is apparent that they are ready to do whatever work needs to be done you know if they can achieve that you know however long sobriety and and maybe sobriety time frame the minimum they say is about 90 days but you can set what you know you can decide what sobriety is <laughs> but um and that includes that includes that they're choosing the relationship over the addiction they're breaking through denial because we know denial is a huge piece right with addicts they don't want to they don't want to admit that they're that addiction is even a part of that vocabulary really and then the f- wanting to change so those are all signs that they are ready to begin or at least that's the first step in signs um, it's a step yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a step it's not the first because i know in my story sobriety was established right away and for a very long period of time and the relationship wasn't getting better so I wasn't looking at these other points that she that we're going to talk about as part of the readiness for couples counseling. I thought sobriety was it, right? <laughs> right. Which kind of kind of got us stuck a little bit, right? Which which is hard because sobriety sobriety is significant. I don't want to I don't want to underscore the importance of sobriety in all of this because it's kind of a first step, really. Um, to, to making changes. And so, so it is important. It's just not the only thing that needs to be present. And so with this piece in, they are less likely to, to minimize and hopefully, you know, gaslight and experience further betrayal but that's not always that's true. That's not always true. Because again, yeah. sobriety is just one piece and recovery is is really the key for those minimization, gaslighting, and so on. So I think it's really important just to remember that this is a first step and not the only one <laughs> to look for. Right, right. So something else she mentions is a full disclosure. And I know this was really important in my relationship to have. Now, some women may not want this, but I felt like this was. Let's do that just because I think the next step would be once the sobriety, then they're working on their emotions and empathy is kind of that. 
that emotional aspect, I think. Yeah, for me, it was no, like there was no step by step like order. Pro- yeah, yeah. And, and you're it's right. Like I don't think it's my like husband still working on empathy. Like he still doesn't get it. Yeah. Even though full disclosures occurred, even though sobriety supposedly has been established, the empathy part, like it just isn't there. He's having a hard time getting. He he's slowly getting it, but so anyway, yeah. I wasn't looking at these as necessarily or that's, linear. Yeah, that's kind okay. Of path, but yeah, I and I we think maybe that's why, like, for number two being empathy, I think empathy being present is key to leading up to the full disclosure, which is the next step because. When you're, when you're learning, I I think it requires some work. So you've got sobriety, right? And then you move into empathy and that's not something you automatically acquire. That takes work and effort. And that, I think that's part of the recovery work. So once you achieve sobriety, then you can start working recovery and empathy, I think is that first recovery piece to work on where you're able to understand what, what feelings you evoked in your partner as the addict, you know, and really being able to, to take responsibility for, for his actions and, and for the pain that it caused really, because that alone, and you, and you probably get this too, that, that, that piece provides a foundation for that um, what she calls it, she says it provides a foundation for understanding, awareness, safety, and the dismantling of narcissistic traits and objectification, which I right. think is a huge thing. So, so sobriety is one piece, but then you've got the objectification, you know, all the things that come with that addiction that have to be pulled apart, dismantled, so that you really can get back to to basic emotions, right? Because they're, they, these addicts, part of the problem and the root of the problem is that lack of being able to manage emotions, right? It's a mismanagement of emotions. And then of course, you've got all of the, the abuse and pornography that leads to the objectification, the narcissistic tendencies and traits that show up and, you know, all of these things. And, and that's when I think it's more likely that you end the blame shifting, the gaslighting, you know, and not only, not only is the empathy present for you, but he's able to work through that toxic shame and over. I was going to mention that. Yeah, yeah. And overcome that shame and really be comfortable with processing emotions rather than feeling that shame and, and letting that, do a deep, letting that drive him into a deep dive as far as, you know, dropping back into addiction behaviors, acting out behaviors. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really is a chance for him to start his real work. The real work of his recovery yeah. is this, is this empathy piece. There's a lot of components to it and a lot to work through to even get to a place where he can start understanding what his behavior or how his behavior has impacted his, his spouse. So for sure, that's, that's really important. 
And then full disclosure, let's talk a minute about having a full disclosure. And I know some, some women may not want a full disclosure for, but I know for, for me, that was really important to have. I felt like it was a way that he could demonstrate his honesty with me and also demonstrate to me kind of really what, what had happened, like the extent of his behavior. Is this something I could live with? You know, is this something that I could move forward in a relationship with him? Because there were so many secrets that were kept from me. I just had no clue the extent of things. You know, was he sleeping with prostitutes? If that was the case, I would need to to take measures to protect myself, you know, and have testing done. And and even, even without that, I think it's probably a good idea to have testing done because there are a lot of secrets and sometimes these disclosures come out a little at a time and you really don't know what you're dealing with right? to the full extent. But um, it was important for me to have a therapeutic disclosure. And if you haven't, if you don't know about therapeutic disclosures, we did an episode with Jeff Stewart earlier in the year on that. That was excellent. And I would really encourage our listeners, you listeners to, to take a listen to that because I felt like it was really a really helpful process right, for myself in, in my healing. But I recognize that some women may not get that. And then you would need to decide probably, you know, what that means for you. Yeah. You know, how, if that's, if that's going to work for you, if that feels, feels good to you, if, if you're able to move forward in a, a relationship with someone who still maybe is not being completely forthright or maybe still stuck in his shame about um, what he's done where he's not able to be vulnerable enough to share this, his, his history with you. But that was really important for me. Yeah. And I think, and we talked a lot about what a full disclosure, what a therapeutic full disclosure is in that episode with Jeff and, I think, and also what it is not. So I think that's a common misconception too, because full dis- a full disclosure and a therapeutic full disclosure are very different. Um, and there are definitely things that make a therapeutic disclosure better than others. And there are some that are called therapeutic disclosures that I would definitely not call a therapeutic disclosure at all. (laughs) Being invited into a therapist's office on your own, without your own support, without any preparation and being sat down and having your spouse list off all of these things. And then, and then asked if, if in the last 10 minutes, if you have anything to say is not a therapeutic disclosure, (laughs) that is a dump disclosure. (laughs) And that's why it's important who, to get a therapist who really gets this, who's, who's been trained in this, because it can be a very traumatic experience for a woman. Absolutely can. It absolutely can. And, and further the trauma, I mean, the trauma's there anyways, right? But to sit in a, sit in a space like that is just way more traumatizing and not having any support after, before anything leading up to it. If that, if it happens, if, if you're invited into a therapist's office for that purpose, p- 
please reach out to your own support and somebody who can sit with you in that space. Um, yeah, you won't regret that. <laughs> I have heard horror stories. <laughs> so, As you're talking about that, I'm thinking about TC and John's experience that she had yeah. with the disclosure where her bishop came over with her husband yeah. and he kind of read her a statement yeah. and, and how probably ineffective that was for her and likely more traumatizing. So, yeah. but that was just one piece of their story. But <laughs> as you were talking, that, that kind of reminds me of how those things can be very traumatic for a woman and it's really best to do that with a, a trained therapist, but, but that doesn't always happen, yeah. you know, because you get these little dribble yeah. disclosures that can often happen. And I didn't, I didn't have that. Well, I had the, the one kind of big event that happened, but then I knew there were a lot of secrets, you know, yeah. leading up to that event. So we needed to get down to the secrets and what was going on. Exactly. On this, her blog, she talks about the purpose for this full disclosure um, and why it is vital is because both parties need to have a shared knowledge of the sexually addictive behaviors um, because it puts, when there is an imbalance of power in the relationship, there's secrets there before disclosure, that partner has the risk of finding out and, and experiencing more betrayal once you've, once you've commenced in couple therapy and then and then you've got you've add to that trauma and it becomes complex because you know how come the therapist didn't know that there were more secrets to be had and why didn't this come out and you know all of these things so it's just way more traumatizing to try and fix your relationship and still have disclosures coming out so for me I think the most important piece is to be able to get the hundred percent truth out on the table so that you have a, you have a slate that's, I don't want to say clean because <laughs> that kind of a disclosure is it always is not clean, <laughs> but it, it just has you both on the same level. You both have the same information and then you can move forward you're able to ask questions, you're able to express your feelings. And once you get to a place of a full disclosure, it's, it's generally going to be safer to be able to discuss the feelings that arise from that kind of a disclosure to say, well, this is how I feel now after all of this has happened, you know, and it really kind of opens up that vulnerability aspect that I think is an important piece in couples therapy to be able to be a hundred percent transparent, honest, vulnerable, um, and without, without having full knowledge, it's really hard to share when there is a threat of, of finding out more information that would be hurtful. And you likely will. I mean, there is a potential that you will find out more information as time goes on. Um, because everything may not be included in that full therapeutic disclosure, but a man in recovery will learn, at least this is my, my 
perception that a man in recovery will learn that when those things come to his mind, he is open and transparent with his wife and allowing her the ability to know kind of what came up for him and, and ask her if this is something that he should share with her. And, and then she can determine for herself, yes, I'd, I'd like to know about it or, or no, I don't, I don't need the details of it. So he gives her that, that space and that opportunity to choose whether or not she wants to continue hearing things, because likely there will be things that he doesn't remember for the therapeutic disclosure. And then she can prepare herself in a way to, to hear it and receive it or not. Exactly. Yeah. So more on therapeutic disclosures in our podcast. If you want more information, go back a a little bit to the beginning of this year and, and you can find that one. And one thing I do, I do want to throw in one more thing um, before we go on to the next point is that at least for myself, this piece of empathy was not present before we did the therapeutic disclosure. And so I think we kind of we've been spinning in circles a little bit because he hasn't been, he didn't really fully work through the blame shifting and the accepting responsibility and the gaslighting issues that have come up and the, the stonewalling that's occurred in our relationship. Those, those behaviors were not addressed before we did the therapeutic disclosure. So I guess, you know, if I had to relive this life, which I hope <laughs> to never relive it, but right. you know, if I had to go back and do things over again, so to speak, I would definitely make sure that this piece of empathy was in place before the disclosure happened because once the disclosure happened, I was ready to move on into couples recovery work, you know, I was just ready to go and not knowing that these pieces were not addressed because I I hadn't identified them in the relationship. I didn't know about them to the, to the extent that I needed to, like I wasn't even recognizing them myself. So I had a lot of learning and training that I needed to do on my part before I could even recognize them in the relationship. So yes, go, go right ahead. Not that I'll be able to answer it. <laughs> it's okay. I, so I'm wondering is, did the therapist that did the full disclosure, were they trained in betrayal, trauma, and sexual addiction? They were. That's interesting. They were, but this piece of, I think this, this piece, these, uh, they were trained in betrayal, betrayal trauma. But I think this piece of abuse was not really recognized. I don't want to say this. Um, I mean, not all therapists are created equally so no they they're not um my therapist you know had no yes they were trained in betrayal trauma but my therapist had really no connection with my husband at all he you know she she didn't really work with my husband at all, but she worked with the therapist that worked with my husband. And I really feel 
like this piece was missing. Yeah. I have a very different story in that regard because, you know, I've been, and you know this, I've been in this process of waiting on a full disclosure for (laughs) quite some time now. I don't know if I want to even say how long, but, um, but it's because, you know, he's eager to do it and get it, you know, and, and have it done. However, I think the therapists have recognized that he isn't ready to do it because he isn't ready. He did, he, he, his behaviors are not where they need to be, to be able to not minimize and to accept full responsibility, you know, and all of these different things. And I don't think that, I don't think that he quite understands either what the purpose of this full disclosure is, you know, because he's wanted to just, I have it all written out. Can I just give it to you? Can I just have this over? I'm like, that's not how this works. And if, if you have questions about that, then you can talk to your therapist about why that's not going to be an appropriate way to do this, you know? And well, I think the therapist in my case was just working on the sexual history part with him. Right. And that's really what needed to come to light. And that's what was focused on was the sexual history, not necessarily the blame shifting and the gaslighting behaviors that the therapist really had no idea that were going on because he's working with somebody who likes to keep secrets and deny and lie and right and not not, not, not be completely right not be completely open and honest about things so right that makes sense well the next the next step on here is the the fourth one she says mental illness addiction and trauma are managed and so this kind of goes along with the theme that we've been talking about over these last couple episodes his recovery and your recovery are are separate and sometimes mental illness may play a role in in that somewhere and i think what i wanted to point out most of all in this is that mental illness can be complex can be complicated can be hard to nail down um and i think it's also i think as the betrayed, I think it is still possible for you to still do your own recovery work because your recovery work isn't dependent upon his mental illness status. And I only say this because I think that yes, mental illness can play a role and we still have the ability to set boundaries to create the safety that we need and in, in an environment in which we can thrive. And so that's kind of where boundaries come to play. So if it's taking time to figure out the mental illness, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> I've, I'm there trying to figure out the correct medications, the correct, you know, what is the mental illness, even figuring that out in addic- in addition to the tr- to the addiction and i also have been able to create a safe space for me and my children to be able to to continue in life without being traumatized and without being victim to the behaviors that come from 
the mental illness and addiction behaviors. So, so I think it's still possible. And I know that that has kind of come up as a listener question. So maybe this is the brief way to address that, but as well, but I think that whether, I think you can still work on you, no matter, no matter what he's doing, you still have every right and opportunity to set boundaries they may be hard boundaries, so maybe that'll take some some effort because maybe there's some fear like we talked about before, but I think that we we absolutely can make choices that will that will allow us to be in a safe space while they figure out their mental illness and and whatever else goes along with that. But this is also a piece that to come together in th- in couples therapy these are all things that need to, to be happening effectively. So mental illness, addiction, and trauma being managed are important, is an important indicator that couples therapy can be effective. And the last point that she brings up is reconciliation is mutually desired. So if you have a spouse who is not interested in in reconciling, then it's going to be hard to be able to do that. Or if you do not have the desire to reconcile, then couples counseling would be pointless at that, at that point. Right. And then it, then it doesn't matter if there's a full disclosure or, or anything like that. Right. So, so these are kind of some of the criteria benchmarks yeah yeah kind of the benchmarks to kind of look for and and hopefully be able to you know look and see okay I can see this I can see this I can see this you know maybe this isn't there um but if couples therapy is started before these five things have been established I think couple therapy, not well-timed. And this is what she says in her article. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell you what, what it says, because I think I, I don't think I can say it any better than she has. So she has some bullet points here. If the couple's therapy is not well-timed, it can result in unnecessary expense and time being invested in care that could be more wisely spent at a different stage of recovery. Decreased so focus, true. right? So true. Because <laughs> we've been there, right? I've been there. <laughs> oh, I cannot tell you how much money we have spent oh, doing yeah. this. Like I, I am fearful of even quantifying it. Oh, I know. It's it's crazy. <laughs> yes. And the the second point, she says, decreased focus on individual recovery goals if individual and couple therapy occur simultaneously. This is especially true for individuals who seek most of their identity from the relationship or for individuals who have difficulty knowing what they need or want in their own right. Oh, and that's so much a part of our recovery, isn't it? Yes. Getting in touch with ourselves and what we want and the the environment that we want to grow in. Yes, absolutely. And it can be, it can be hard to, it takes time to figure that stuff out. Yeah. Especially when you've lived in this world that you don't recognize anymore, you know? So, yeah. Um, Yeah. Then. I mean, our, 
our world has been swirled around. I mean, we've, we've been living in chaos and we don't even recognize it, you know, <laughs> yeah. sometimes. Yeah. A lot of case, times. You know, yeah. Yeah. You don't, you don't even realize the chaos. So until you start stepping out of that and really recognizing, getting in tune with your gut and, and you as an individual, it can be hard to even attempt couples recovery. And we've, we've talked about this, you and I just, just off script, I guess, or off air <laughs> about the fact that a lot of times, at least in our culture, we're getting married really young. And, yeah. and what do we really know about ourselves? I mean, we, Nothing. <laughs> we, we know a lot about ourselves and our identity becomes our relationship. Yeah, and so sure. I think it really is important to, and, and that's not true in every case, but um, I think it is in a lot of cases. It wasn't ours. Yeah, right? <laughs> it definitely wasn't ours. And so it, it really is a process of, of learning who you are. And, and I think our marriages and the things that have occurred through life up to this point definitely play a role in who we are. Not that I would change that, but I think that really taking the time to discover who we are, what we want, how we want to live our lives, what kind of peace we want in our lives. It takes time to figure out, especially when you're coming out of that trauma fog and starting to live life in a healthier way. I'm still figuring it out myself. I'm still learning things that I, that I enjoy doing and taking as much time as I can to enjoy those. So, so it, it does take time. And, and I think the same probably applies to the, to our husbands as well, as they come out of their addiction, they also have to figure out who they are and what they want and how they want to live their life in a different way than they have before. And so it's, it's a parallel a path that we have to travel individually. And we can talk about that more later, but it, it is an important key. So. And eventually if, if you want to start couples recovery, they have to intersect at some point, those paths have to intersect. And that's kind of, that may take some trial and error. Oh yeah. You know, there, there may be some, <laughs> a lot of bumps along the way. Don't we know? Extreme <laughs> pendulum swings, you know, from one extreme to the other, I'm sure, you know, will exist in that. Um, yeah. You know, as I've dabbled in, in couples recovery, I just realized that we're not, we're not ready yet because all these, these things aren't present. Yeah. Yeah. To the extent that they need to be to, really have effective <laughs> recovery, like you said, yeah. effective couples recovery. So. Exactly. Um, so the last, the last few points she makes, so uh, premature termination from couple therapy, because it isn't working. That's in yeah. quotes. I've, yeah, I've been in there. <laughs> because, <laughs> yep, I've been there too. <laughs> this... And it's okay to do that. Like why waste your money? Yeah. Like if it's not effective, like, yeah, step back. Yeah. Give it more time. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. And she says increased risk of terminating the relationship because going to couple therapy proved that we have tried everything, you know, because going too early is, again, when it's not well-timed, you're not going to get the results that you want. So 
Um, and then the final one, frustration over negligible results. And, and I think I want to add in here, which I've heard as well, is also couple therapy not well-timed can also result in therapy-induced trauma. Because if you have a spouse has not worked his recovery, who is not sober, who is who is does not have empathy, who's not taking responsibility and accountability, and then you're sitting in a couple's therapy office with a therapist who is not trained, who is using a connection kind of model, then they're going to encourage you to connect to a person who's not safe to connect with, and then you're just going to have more trauma. And so that's why we, and that is a term, therapy-induced trauma. So just some things to be aware of in all of this. So hopefully these points and this information has been helpful to at least get you to a point or at least lay some groundwork to understand when couple therapy is encouraged and also understand when it's not, when you're just not ready for it. And then again, like we said, every, every couple's therapy and model is going to look a little bit different. So that is something that you'll you'll have to discover for yourself when you get to that place and something that I have to discover and Janine has to discover when we get to that place too. We just want to thank you for listening and hope this has been really helpful information for you and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org, if you would like to enroll in an online therapist-led support group. We'll see you next time.